Thanks to our sponsor, Raygun. Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy application experience for your customers? With Raygun Application Performance Monitoring, you have all the information you need at your fingertips to find and fix errors and performance problems across your tech stack down to the line of code. With Raygun, monitor the impact of your performance improvements, quickly identify and resolve issues, and see how your code performs in the hands of your customers, saving you time, money, and sanity. I've personally used Raygun and Hyperfish for the last four years to help me sleep better at night knowing the customers we've worked so hard to get are having a great experience. We use Raygun to alert engineers proactively so that we can be the ones to tell customers when we've fixed the problem instead of them calling us to say something's wrong. Raygun.com is my secret weapon in shipping high-quality code. Check it out at raygun.com and get up and running in minutes. This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 395, where today CJ and I are going to talk about reimagining the employee experience with Microsoft Viva, recorded live February the 4th, 2021. This episode is brought to you by Nintex. If you could score an extra hour or two back in your day, wouldn't you take it? Because our friends at Nintex want to give you a gift the gift of time. Seriously, if you haven't checked out what Nintex has to offer lately, you should. The platform built on Azure has evolved a lot. In just the past few months, the Nintex team has added new process mapping capabilities and most recently a new eSign capability called Nintex Sign, powered by Adobe Sign. Nintex also continues to revolutionize products that you know and trust, including Nintex Workflow and Forms. With the power of Nintex, it is faster and easier for you to configure, not code, giving you valuable time back every day to spend it how you want. Test drive the Nintex Process Cloud at Nintex.com. Back to the show. Good morning, Mr. CJ Johnson. How are you? <laughs> Pretty good. You're sounding a lot better this week. I'm definitely sounding better. I got my voice back. My energy level is back. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that now I can actually, I'm actually able to exercise and do cardio again. Right. I was I was actually scared about doing that the first few times for all the stories I'd heard about people with lung pain and yeah. chest pain and stuff after having COVID. So yeah, how did it go? So far, so good. I mean, I haven't, we got a stationary bike at the beginning of January, I think. Mm-hmm. I've jumped on it probably three times, four times now, but it was, I haven't gone for a run yet because I wanted to be, I just wanted to be home in case, I don't know, just being careful. Yeah. But I think I'm fine. So I'm still just dealing with a complete loss of smell and taste. And yeah, I'm at the point now where I'm trying, yes, I'm even trying TikTok mix. mix. So (laughs) I've even done the Jamaican mom, burn an orange and smash, cut off all the the burnt rind and smashing up at a cup with some uh, brown sugar and see if that works. And it did. (laughs) I guess that certainly does suck, but also like, it's good to know that you're on the mend, at least, with everything else. Yeah, we'll see. It'd be. A, I'm on day 14 of no smell, no taste. I have a little bit of smell, but the smell is like nothing smells the way it's supposed to. Like everything smells really bad. Huh. Like I was telling you, I was telling you before the before we reached the show in our little pre-show that my wife was making a baked chicken and lemon thing in the oven last night. Yeah. And I came downstairs and I was like. What are we having? She's like, what does it smell like? I'm like, mm, you don't tell me what we're having first because you really don't want to, you want me to tell you what it smells like. She's like, she told me, I was like, oh, okay, looks good. She's like, what does it smell like? I'm like, it smells like a candle wrapped up in plastic burning in the oven. This doesn't smell very good. That's not it. <laughs> yeah. So it looked great. The texture was great. So I keep getting this like, how was dinner? I'm like, felt great. Felt <laughs> 
<laughs> felt great. Yeah, interesting. Uh, it's just so it's very hard to comprehend that, right? And I guess unless you're going through it or have gone through it. So, yeah, my sympathies are with you, man. That sucks. So, what's up with you these days? Well, I'm taking great glee in the fact that Australians who I work for in my day job, but also who I've had a friendly rivalry with most of my life, given I'm a New Zealander, might be forced into using Bing. (laughs) So that's how they get people to use Bing. You can force them. (laughs) Yeah. So apparently, yeah, I mean, this is, I guess I could have saved this for news, but but Google and and the Australian government are having a bit of a spat because the Aussie government attempting to, I don't know all of the ins and outs, but they're, I think they're attempting to make Google and other social media companies pay content creators for content that they use in their platforms. I think that's the gist of it. I'm not 100% sure about it. I think that's roughly it. And so Google's saying, no, we're not going to do it. And Australia are like, cool, well, you're going to have to. And they're saying, well, we'll leave Australia. And they're like, okay people could use Bing. <laughs> and I'm very up and down on this because on the one hand, I think it's absolutely hilarious that they might be forced to use Bing. But on the other hand, I use Bing. So it's like, I'm sort of laughing at myself in some respects. I understand the whole thing about people, you know, content create. I mean, I'm a content creator. So I understand the whole thing about, you know, as a, if that's your, your living and your content creator, I mean, you got to get compensated for what you're doing. So I get frustrated too, but as a consumer to, these different platforms like the Wall Street Journal or not platforms, these other, these uh, publications like the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Washington Post, Business Insider, that they've got their stuff behind paywalls and they make it hard to get that content. I like, am I willing to pay for that stuff? I don't know, some of it. I mean, I'm, thankfully, as like a, I started, I switched over to that, the Apple uh, all-in-one subscription. I use the Apple all-in-one thing for um, Apple Music, Apple Fitness, or Fitness Plus. And as part of that, you get Apple News and I'm enjoying it. I like it, but I don't know how you solve that problem. I mean, I, I can understand like, you know, some there should be a way that where somebody like a Google or anybody should be allowed to like take somebody else's content and just show it without any attribution going back to like that whole AMP thing is just, I can't, I really don't like that because it's just you're stealing my experience and, and repurposing it somewhere else. I don't, yeah. as a provider, you're stealing my experience and you're providing it through something else where I no longer have the relationship with the reader or through the customer. It's not just about the content. So I can sympathize with that, but yeah, it's one of those things like, oh, I'm just glad I don't have to come down on the side of this one. I guess I don't know about the ins and outs enough of it to, to weigh in, but that's not really the point of this. The point of this was just that I'm going to find it hilarious <laughs> if my Australian friends get bundled with uh, Bing as their only choice. Like, uh, I wouldn't be hilarious. It wouldn't be actually be hilarious, right? It would just be funny on the face of it, yeah. but not actually that funny. So anyway, outside of taking a bit of glee in that, yeah, I'm not doing too badly, actually. Rocking and rolling, building some software and things like that. So uh, having a bit of fun with code and it's good. Good. How about you? You know, I think I might have reached the tipping point on my home automation mm. to replatform myself. Like I'm a smart things guy and I've gone through the whole like migration from smart things classic to smart things, whatever they call it, new app. Mm. Don't like the new app. Nobody in my family really loves it. And I had an experience this week where all of a sudden all of my automations just disappeared. Now they're all back. Isn't apparently what happened behind the scenes is that they 
they switch their rules engine from like one thing to something else. But the way they migrated you is that when you updated the app, the first time you launched the app is when it migrated all of your rules. And that could take like 30 to 90 seconds. But the end user experience was none of your automations are there. And so you have no idea. It looks like they're gone when really they're migrating behind the scenes. And SmartThings hasn't done much to really get out in front of this and help people. At least it's not easy to find these solutions. So going through like one forum and going through the subreddit, I found the way that it fixed it for me was to create a new automation. All of a sudden, all of my old ones showed up and then I was able to delete that new one. And it showed up between all the different devices. So it's all fixed again, but it's just one of those like, you know, I might want to change this up. So I'm going back and looking at Home Assistant, yeah. which I understand is, there's a lot of things I, I like about it. Mm. Like I like the fact that it's got an app that you can customize the experience mm. for each user. And I like the fact that you can, that everything runs local, whereas with smart things, everything runs remote. So it's like today, if I want to see like the, the water levels for in my fish tank, that I've got little sensors set up for, I open the app and I have to wait for like four or five seconds for it to connect to smart things. And then I got to wait another four or five seconds for it to update what the sensors know. And it's like, dude, this is like sitting, I could have gotten up and walked over to the fish tank and seen what the levels were from here. Gotcha. This should have been something that happened in the background. It used to be faster. Now it's now it's slower. It's like we're moving in the wrong direction here, guys. Yeah, gotcha. That makes sense. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, it's been a while, right? So it's probably worth evaluating things and seeing where it sits. I plan. I'm going to look at it. I'll keep uh, everybody updated. We might do another geek out because we did that a while back. And um, Home Assistant looks like it's gotten quite a bit more mature yeah. since I last looked at it. So I'm. it's a little more appealing. And it's nice because it's like the out of the box. It's got the nice balance of you don't have to fiddle with it. It's out of the box. It works just fine. And it's very user-friendly, but then it's got this added element of, but if you want to tinker with it, tinkering is pretty is pretty easy. Whereas with smart things, it's like, hey, it just works right out of the box. Everything just works. But, you can. but if you want to tinker with it, it's hard as hell to figure out how to build apps. Yeah, gotcha. I see. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, there's a good ecosystem behind Home Assistant. It'd be interesting to see what you find. I will keep everybody updated. But today, we've got a couple things to cover. We have a little bit of news we want to run through. I'm going to go through that, try and go through that kind of on a, a quicker clip. Yep. But there was also a very big thing that happened today that they were recording. Microsoft announced a new product, service. Actually, they're calling it a platform. So mm. I'm called Microsoft Viva. So we will we'll take a minute. I've absorbed myself or submersed myself in Viva all morning and all the content that they've released for it and can give you a kind of a, a good of an, a good overview for it for our listeners. And yeah, so why don't we kick off with our news? before we talk about the Viva. Sounds good. This episode is sponsored by Avpoint. If you like the Microsoft Cloud Show, you'll love the Shift Happens podcast with MVP and Regional Director Dux Raymond Sai. Each week, Dux talks with one of the industry's brightest stars about their most challenging modern workplace or digital transformation project. He uncovers the players, organizational hurdles, and last minute surprises that inevitably rise when ambitious people try to impact their workspace. Season one features FedEx, Wells Fargo, Heathrow Airport, United Airlines, and other industry leaders. Go to avpoint.com slash blog slash shift happens or search for the hashtag shift happens. That's one word, shift happens, wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe today. And now back to the show. Okay, CJ, 
The first bit of news that I have here is dun, we are dun, 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 dun. we are back to revisiting the Jedi contract, <laughs> which we are now going to officially call the American Tennis U.S. Open because we are going from it first goes to Microsoft and then it goes nope we're going to have to contest this it might go to Amazon and now it's back in Microsoft and now my, and Amazon is like we are not going to stop fighting for this and now the DoD. The United States Department of Defense is now saying, maybe this isn't just worth it. We should just open the bid back up again. But it's basically, it's the yo-yo project. We are going back and forth. We don't know where it is. It's on again. It's off again. It's on again. It's off again. I mean, it's like a third world electric uh, electric grid. Power grid. Yeah, we just can't. Who knows where this thing's going to end up? I thought you were going to call it the TikTok of legal battles. It's just going TikTok, TikTok, back and forth. There was resolution to that, though. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. I guess there was, yeah. Yeah, you're right. This is this is kind of nuts. Like I guess what the DOD is saying, like, hey, if this is just if we're just gonna be litigated for decades over this, then we're not gonna bother. Yep. And we'll try to just appease both parties and give you both money. Mm-hmm. Which seems like a complete cop out to me, but I don't know enough about the ins and outs of who has the the best arguments and all that sort of stuff. And whoever Lost is going to litigate, so I sort of feel for them. They can't really make much progress without threat of being in court for years, you know? Yeah. It's kind of lame. Well, it's lame, and it's what, I guess, here's like the inside baseball stuff. I, mean, it make, I shared a link to the Business Insider article about this, where it's kind of going back and forth on it, and who knows where it's going to end up. The part that's really frustrating about it, as someone who does a lot of work with Microsoft, is that... I know how, I mean, we've talked about how big of a contract this really is on previous episodes. And it's not just a big contract in terms of dollar amount, but it also requires Microsoft to do a lot of stuff and change a lot of services. Yeah. And they've had like all hands on deck for a, with a lot of different teams, little lowercase c, to implement certain features and capabilities in order to conform to the requirements of the Jedi project and to see this thing get ripped out from under them, even if they get paid for it. And that's a lot of like, just, we didn't need to spend the time on this if we're not going to do this. And so that's a lot of missed, a lot of lost opportunity. And especially when there's a lot, with so much stuff going on, not just on, you know, with the pandemic, but also with just, you know, opportunity that's lost from other things that you're working on. It's just, it's frustrating. So it's like, I don't know, kind of like, Looking at the DOD, looking at this whole Jedi contract, you just kind of want to like get on your knees and just kind of pray to somebody and be like, hey, can somebody just make a decision? And can we just have a final answer? Yeah, exactly. It'll probably just drag out for a few more years. I mean, it's a $10 billion contract. It's not like there's any, there's not like there's any, there's a, any opportunity here that someone wants to fight for. Exactly. Exactly. I guess we'll see. Speaking of AWS, Huge news this week with Jeff Bezos stepping down as CEO. But more interestingly is that the head of AWS, a guy called Andy Jassy, is stepping up to be the new CEO. Mm-hmm. And now the reason I bring this up is what's interesting to me is that sort of signals to me that Amazon knows where its strengths in the future will be. It's really a cloud computing company first and foremost, mm-hmm. even though on the outside it looks like where you buy your socks from. You know, it says a lot that they're putting the, the head of AWS, who's been around a long time, almost as long as Jeff Bezos, mm-hmm. to be the new CEO. So kind of a big moment for them. And I'm surprised, you know, the market and things hasn't reacted more badly. I guess 
I guess they've had GameStop to think about instead. <laughs> but yeah, it's a big moment for Amazon. And um, I quite like Bezos in some respects because he does some other interesting stuff. Like he went and found, he funded the project to go find the F1 engines, for example. Mm-hmm. He's got a space company that's figuring out how to launch rockets and he's building rocket engines and things like that. So he's got a bunch of other things going on, like the Washington Post as well and other stuff to focus on. So I'm sure he's not going to be sitting around home with his tens of billions of dollars or hundreds of billions or whatever it is now and uh, wondering what to do with himself, that's for sure. I wonder what kind of an impact or what kind of a change this happens, this brings at Amazon, aside from what we've already seen, like where this goes in the future. It's not the first time I would use the phrase that change is good, all change is good, new blood, new ideas. Bezos isn't going anywhere. I mean, he's not going to run, he's not going to be CEO and run the day-to-day operations. He is going to focus on special projects and stuff like that. And I mean, you know, at some point you just kind of be like, I don't need to be the one to run the, to run the company. Somebody else run the company. Let me go focus on like the, let me be the, the, you know, having a bunch of creative stuff that I want to focus on, not just my own pet projects, but the stuff that I want, that we want to do at Amazon. Let's, you know, what things can, that can Amazon do that's, that's unique and, and that's special. And, I mean, he's clear. He, he was. He's got the history of being the visionary and starting this, coming from the financial industry and saying, "I don't want to miss this internet bubble." And starting a book, an online bookstore that's turned into, I mean, the biggest e-commerce, largest online retailer. Yeah, I was a little surprised that the news it got more news than it did an impact in the market. I guess that's a good thing for Amazon, right? That that shows that. Whatever he's done, he's built a company that's not reliant on him. I agree. When Jobs was taken away from Apple, I mean, that was impactful to Apple. If Elon Musk is taken away from SpaceX or or, or Tesla, I mean, that's going to have a huge impact on those companies. I would expect that those have a huge impact on those companies. If anything, at least the market's going to have a significant reaction, I would expect, to those two actions. Yeah. I guess SpaceX isn't public, but... Yeah, but I know what you mean. Like, it'd be a massive, massive impact to them. Yeah. Yeah, so good for good for him. He gets to go. Uh, I, I would do the same. Look, like if I had bajillions of dollars and you've only got a certain amount of time left in your life, that I wouldn't want to be an operationally focused CEO. I'd want to be doing other interesting projects. So good for him. I have a bit of Microsoft 365 news. They have a uh, have a new message center update to share with everyone. This is twenty three six zero two six, and is changes to the Microsoft 365 CDN, specifically the private CDN. For the most part, there's nothing you need to do, whether you are using the private CDN or not. There's nothing that customers need to do with this. Basically, what Microsoft is doing is they're making no changes to the public CDN, but the private CDN is they're switching it today. It runs on a third-party provider, Mm. the Akamai. What they are doing is they are switching it to be self-hosted as in Microsoft Azure CDN. They're going to start doing this, making this change in March of 2021. Should be fully rolled out and available by June 2021. If you don't already have a private CDN enabled, they will do it. They will enable it for you. If you already have it enabled, they will automatically transition your stuff from the Akamai CDN over to the Microsoft Azure CDN. And based on the message center thing, it's essentially saying... This is an FYI. There's nothing for you to do. It's not going to... We're just letting you know we're doing it. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I could think of is that maybe that there's going to be like IP set changes because I would assume the Akamai's got their own IPs. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you've got like stuff in your firewalls or something to say, 
we can use these from a private CDN. Probably, I would assume you have to change that stuff, but hey, that's a networking thing and I don't do that stuff. So you have to ask somebody else. IT pro stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> IT pro stuff, isn't it? Just setup.exe? I thought so, yeah. I just double click the MSI and it's supposed to just install everything or the PKG and we should be good. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> Speaking of IT pros, there's a great YouTube video here that Microsoft released about a tour of one of their data centers. And so it goes and, you know, you don't often get a lot of in-depth glimpses into the stuff because they try to, you know, keep it relatively, not low-key, not secret, but sort of low-key about how they run the stuff. But um, there's a great five-minute video that's been put out by CNET, actually, where Brad Smith, you know, the, the head of legal and corporate affairs at Microsoft, gives a tour of the data center in Quincy in Washington, one of their Washington data centers. And um, it's just really interesting. If you've never been in one of these things before, just the scale that they're dealing with and how they provide power and air conditioning and and all of that. And as you go through it, one of the highlights, or not highlights, one of the things I noticed was they're standing in the data center. And one of the things I really noticed was how much their hair was moving. Did you notice that? Yeah, I noticed Brad Smith's like coat, the tails on his coat were like flopping around. And the other people that were there, that like their hair is moving and their, their clothes are moving and you're like, yeah, it's like a wind tunnel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> got to keep that hot air moving. <laughs> yeah, so take a look at the video and uh, see what you think. But the one thing I noticed was the hair moving, that's um, keeping airflow through the building. It's all going in one direction as well. Like it's not just random air, right? It's all It's all managed and... And designed that way. There was some interesting stuff to this video. I was when I first started watching it, I got excited and I was like, "Oh, sweet! They're going to like, you know finally get the inside of a data center." I've seen like an inside of a Google data center video, but I haven't seen like the real inside of a Microsoft data center. And I was a little disappointed because I was hoping for more, especially when like Brad Smith is, starts the video by talking right outside the facility, mm. and then it cuts away and he goes, "So I've just spared you through the the entire and how locked down the security is coming in here, so you don't have to go through all that stuff." And I'm like, "I wanted to see that. That was a, yeah. That well, they don't want to tell you. I, I, well, I get that part of it right, but it's like, you know, I want to see some of it. I mean, I don't, you don't need to show like." You don't need to show me the secret part of it, but it's just like, show me the part that's going to look at it going, wow, that guy is really impressive. And I can see that there's some stuff that I, I'm not I'm not allowed to see, but that's enough to know that I'm not going to be able to just, you know, kind of tuck something in my coat and slide in. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's a whole bunch of servers, but it's just interesting. If Yeah. If you've never spent time in a large data center, go take a look at it because it's kind of it's kind of mind boggling the scale. There is a uh, another bit of news that Microsoft announced at the end of January. Usually we don't cover these things all in all that depth, but this one I found kind of interesting. Or I guess I found it a little amusing and I don't I don't want to say it's amusing in the sense that I'm laughing at, at Azure about this, but they announced on January the 28th that Azure Service Fabric Mesh Preview is retire is being retired. So I didn't realize that this was ever even it even made it out of preview or it never made it out of preview. But back in 2018, Microsoft announced Azure Service Fabric Mesh, which is at the time that was kind of their, that was Microsoft's story of how they were internally using a container-based microservice architecture for hosting a lot of their own services at Azure. And they were productizing it to where we could use it as our own stuff. But this is also about the same time that we started to see things like Docker and, oh, I just forgot some of the other ones, but uh, like Apache, I forgot what it was. But you know now we've got things like Kubernetes. And I remember when we were seeing that stuff at the time, I'm seeing Azure Service Fabric Mesh at the time, 
was kind of looking at it going, why would I choose a Microsoft proprietary thing when everything else that's out there is more standards-based? AWS is doing the standards thing. GCP is doing the standards thing. Azure, you're also hosting the standards thing. Why would I go with this proprietary thing? Nothing against like what Microsoft had done, but it's like, I kind of would rather go with VHS instead of doing beta just because. Yeah. It's not surprising that this is shutting down and will be completely de- will be completely de- decommissioned. They're like, what does it say? They will continue to support deployments until April 28th. But however, new deployments will no longer be permitted through the API. It doesn't talk about the actual date of when they're going to really shut it down. It just looks like we're just going to, we'll let you keep creating them until the end of April of this year. And then after that, you can't create any more, but it looks like they'll keep working. Yeah, I never really paid too much attention to it. I never got deep into it. It seemed like a weird timing thing. Like Microsoft invented this thing that, or built it, almost at the wrong time. Like it was very clever. Like it was a good thing. They needed it. They productized it for others to use. But it sort of just came out at the wrong time when containerization and in you know Docker and Kubernetes and things was on the rise. And so then it never really got a foothold outside of the Microsoft world like the other things did. I like when we see them... Making the right decisions. <laughs> yeah, I like it when they see that they throw the towel and going that is on like, you know, hey, look, we don't need to offer both of these things when this is the thing that we would recommend people use. I mean, like when they did the whole thing with uh, was like Azure Caching and then Redis, and it's like... We had an Azure Cache story, and then they started to add in Redis based on demands. And then they came back and said, yeah, that caching thing that we were doing ourselves, yeah, it doesn't make sense. The world's using Redis. We have a Redis story. Use Redis. Migrate over. Yeah, exactly. So it's nice to see that. Yeah. How would you like to find out about Microsoft Viva, CJ? Viva Las Redmond. Let's do it. (laughs) This podcast is brought to you by ShareGate. You probably didn't get into cloud engineering to spend hours manually sifting through layers of data or manually creating reports to understand and explain your Azure costs. Neither did the IT pros at ShareGate, which is why they built ShareGate Overcast. ShareGate Overcast is an Azure cost intelligence tool that reduces manual monitoring and helps you make cost-efficient engineering decisions. And it can help you lower your Azure bill. ShareGate Overcast scans your Azure environment daily and analyzes your cost data. It automatically identifies cost issues and gives you the insights that you need to fix problems fast. Plus, with personalized cost savings recommendations, you can be sure that you're only paying for the resources that you need. And best of all, you can get ShareGate Overcast for free. Find out more at sharegate.com slash cloud show. And we're back. All right. So this morning on February the 4th, in this interesting work from home new world, Microsoft had a, it seemed to kind of fumble the event here because it was talked about on Twitter saying, hey, we got this thing reimagining the employee experience. Come join and watch the event at 9 a.m. Eastern time on February the 4th. And so you went to the page and it's like, here, go to Twitter to find out. So you go to Twitter to find out. And it looked like they were going to announce and have the link to where you go find everything on the Microsoft 365 Twitter handle. Mm. But they published it on the Microsoft handle instead on accident. Ah. It looks like at least. So after digging around a little bit, we found a link. I jumped into a link that talked about the actual product at Microsoft.com slash Microsoft-Viva-Overview. Or sorry, Microsoft.com slash Microsoft hyphen Viva slash overview. Gotcha. So don't worry. If you're in the car, don't try and write that down. If you were trying to write it down, stop because it's in the show notes. 
it ends up apparently what this was was not an event, but it was basically a we're going to publish the page that has all the YouTube videos at 9 a.m., which, okay, it wasn't really an event, but what was really cool about this new approach is that, man, I love the guy. I love listening. I love it when Sacha presents. It's great. But he's got his style of presenting. He talks so slow (laughs) and it gets on my nerves. So this was awesome because it wasn't like watching a build keynote. I was able to go straight to YouTube, see the video that they linked to, and I was able to set the, the playback speed to 1.5, 1.5 speeds. So I was able to like, all right, let's get through this, Sacha. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> let's get through all the, like, the fluffy stuff. <laughs> I'm going to be a little tongue-in-cheek here. I really like this style of event because I don't have to get out of bed for it. Yeah. And I'm glad I didn't because I can experience it the same way anybody that did get out of bed experienced it. And I can just watch the videos. Like That is actually quite useful to me. Like I like that it's not live in some respects. Mm-hmm. I do find it weird that they call it like an event because it's like to me, that's, I don't know, that says it's a live thing for some reason. Like I still have that sort of feeling of it should be a live thing in my in the back of my mind. But actually, I don't mind that it wasn't live because I just get to get to chew through the videos, like you say, and, and fast forward them. It was interesting. There are, so let me kind of explain like what this thing is. I said something on Twitter about this, trying to ask the question of what this was. And I think that it was taken as me trying to be critical of it. And I really wasn't. I I think I said like, so what is this? Just an intranet that is now only in teams with a partner play to it. And Mary Jo like immediately responded. And she's like, "Um, I think it's a little bit more than that. Here's what I think it is. And she, she sent and she used it to share her article that she had published on it. So let me explain kind of what this is a little bit from how Mary Jo says it. I was a little frustrated with the way that Microsoft was presenting. I know Sacha talked about it. Jared Spataro talked about it in his stuff as well. I actually found the best description of it was a, a link by a guy named Josh Burzen, which I may be mispronouncing his name, but it's called the, the Massive Microsoft Impact of, sorry, the Massive Market Impact of Microsoft Viva. He's a guy that writes about insights on corporate talent, learning, and HR technology. And Let me kind of explain the way that, like, I think he did the best job of really putting this together and explaining what this is from all the perspectives that I was able to read from this so far. So I've got a link to his blog post. I've got a link to Mary Jo's article. I've got a link to a lot of the Microsoft stuff as well. We got a lot of links in the show notes. So if you want to learn more about this, go grab those. Go take a look at those. And if you're not a a subscriber to our mailing list, make sure you subscribe to the mailing list because all of these links, whenever we do a show... We push out an email the day of the show, the day we, we publish the show, that's got all the links to all the, in the show notes uh, straight in your mailbox. So you can be listening to the podcast in your car, on your way to work, or on the way to the grocery store, I guess, since you're working from home, or if you're just running around the neighborhood. And you don't have to write anything down. But let me explain what this is. So this is being pitched as a digital platform for reimagining the employee experience. I think that you can look at this as Microsoft's entry or Microsoft's approach or stab or whatever at a human resource platform. What this is, is it's effectively they've taken a lot of existing announcements that we've seen over the last year and they're repackaging them or they're restating them or repeating them into a single brand or a single product called Microsoft Viva. When you open it up, when you look at this, really all it is is it's just Microsoft Teams, but it's got four primary pillars uh, that go along with it. 
The four pillars that they have are Viva Connections, Viva Insights, Viva Learning, and Viva Topics. So I'll start with the last one, Viva Topics, because that's the only one that's there today. The rest of them are going to be available as like private previews or coming in the future. Viva Topics, which is available today, you can actually go buy it today. It's available for $5 per user per month on top of an existing Microsoft E5 license. So this isn't cheap. It's not cheap. Mm-hmm. What Topics is, remember Cortex that we heard about at Ignite two years ago, I think? Yep. There's a concept in Cortex called Topics where you can have like, you can either manually define a topic or you can let the AI stuff inside Cortex define it for you. And it effectively creates like a page. It's kind of like saying, hey, here's a keyword that we found in your organization. We're going to make a page for it. We're going to roll up all the content and do like an automatic search and some presentation of it inside of this page for that one topic. So that's what's going to be there first. It includes topic cards, topic pages, and topic centers that are all part of Project Cortex. And it's meant to help connect content with experts using people cards throughout all of Microsoft 365. The other pillars that they have is Viva Connections, which they say brings together internal communications capabilities from SharePoint um, experiences, Yammer community, stream video, and Microsoft Teams live events. It's kind of meant to be like a, a gateway or a dashboard for internal comms and company resources. There's Viva Insights, which includes personal well-being experiences and teams like virtual commute and headspace, which are things that Microsoft has talked about before. And it also includes uh, stuff coming from workplace analytics. And like one of the demos they sh- saw is that that they showed in, in these different videos was that someone like a manager can see that their like 60% of their employees are working in off in like after hours. So your team is at this risk level of burnout. Gotcha. Kind of a thing. Yeah, I see. And then the last one is the last uh, pillar is Microsoft learning. This is the one that's available as a private preview today. This is really coming around. Like if you remember Last year, I think there was a learning app that was announced coming for Microsoft Teams, but it never saw the light of day. That's what this looks like. It's kind of been rolled into Viva, mm-hmm. and it's going to include content from the big time players. Not, it's not a doesn't appear to be showing anything or, or catering to any content from smaller providers, but it's like pulling content from LinkedIn Learning, Microsoft Learning. They say third party content providers. I've seen stuff from Pluralsight, from Coursera. And then if you're your own company, if you had learning content, you were able to have a way to go through and to integrate with it as well. I think a lot of this thing is, this is really a lot of organizations over the, and, you, and, and listening to what some, watching what some of the other organizations have been saying, or people have been talking about since this has been announced, is that there's a demand in the enterprise space for really trying to bridge this people who work in person in an office but then also people who are working remote. And while most people are working remote today, after, if we fast forward and go after the pandemic, even if a company goes back to 90% working in the office and 10% at home, you still can't have those people not being connected and working together. And so this is kind of like saying, hey, look, the game's going to be different. So we need to go through and kind of, we need to have a way of going through and meshing these together and having a better experience with this. I am not in this world. But I hear that and see people talking about that this is a huge opportunity. It's a play on like the workday, like I said earlier, SAP, Salesforce type thing of they're trying to do these different experiences. 
and Microsoft is just trying to create a platform to work. Microsoft is creating a platform and making it to where companies can take this to help with the onboarding experience, help with the networking of, of everybody just on a full digital experience with this. It'll be interesting to see how this is, uh, how people uh, react to this over the next week or two, uh, how Microsoft talks about it going forward. I woke up and read the news and looked through, looked through some of it. I haven't watched all the videos yet, so I need to go and do that today on one and a half speed, obviously. Thank goodness. And I guess I can see where they're coming this coming at from this, right? So we've all been forced to work from home. Well, not you. You're doing it out of choice for years, but yeah. <laughs> lots of other people. And companies are being forced to work quite differently. And it's been a real struggle for some of them in engaging their employees when they're not in the office, right? When when people aren't walking around the office or at the cooler, seeing how people are doing, making sure they've got it, what they need, making sure they're being productive, that they've got everything they need to be productive, all that sort of stuff. And so I sort of feel like Viva to Microsoft is the answer to that by putting the tools they think companies need to enable that into the platform they want them to use to do that, right? So like they've obviously, Microsoft's answer to getting your company working better is use Teams, right? But it's it's really only focused around like files and conversations and things like that so far, right? And now they're saying, cool, with, with, by adding Viva, we're giving you the tools your employees need in the place that they're working so that they can be more productive in this new kind of world and environment. So from that angle, I totally get it. Like giving them access to topics, aka a better search, that's to me topics just as a better way of searching. It essentially gives you the same thing, right? It's access to the information that you're looking for. Right, that's ultimately what you're trying to do with topics. Getting that into the place that you're working—that seems like a good thing to do. What do they call it? Connections? Is that is that one of them? Connections? Was that one of the pillars? Yeah. Connections. Yeah. Getting your intranet into Teams—that's what that one is to me. Right? It's like we've seen that with the move SharePoint are making about putting your portal into Teams. Mm-hmm. People need access to corporate information and news and things like that that's being published to their intranet. Getting your intranet into Teams seems like. A good idea for that too. Learning, right? Having that exposed, that makes sense. Like you need to go learn how to do new things and and stay up to date and things like that. So having that where you work as well seems like a good idea. What's the fourth one I've missing? Let's see, there was learning, there was connections, insights. Oh yeah. This one's a little less interesting to me. This one seems like a me too kind of jam it in there. Not that kind of me too. A different <laughs> like the you know that Unfortunately, now I, I used to use that term for like a me too thing was like a, oh, ooh, I want one of those, so I'm going to tag along, you know, but now it, it kind of, it will mean different things. It means something. Yeah, exactly. So I don't mean it like the, the new version of the term. I mean it like the old version of the term. So that seems like just sort of jamming something in, <laughs> jam something in because we've got it. But the other ones I really think is a lot more interesting. Now, whether like whether this should be a whole brand in and of itself or it just should be part of Teams, I'm a little less certain of. Like, I sort of feel I'm not entirely sure why they've gone and branded this thing as a separate thing other than trying to build build momentum around it, build noise around it. Maybe that's really the reason and that, that could work. But they're really like in this in Josh Burson's article, I think he really hits the nail on the head around this. Microsoft are trying to get into the employee experience platform game mm-hmm. and sort of 
tag, not tagging along, but participating in that market because it's a huge thing right now, right? Because the whole world's been upended about how the employee experience works for many companies. And so they're diving into that. So yeah, I do see them wanting to tag and, you know, tag along with that and get into it. But yeah, branding it separately, I'm not 100% sure about yet. I haven't really had time to formulate whether that's a good thing, whether it'll be charged for separately. I don't know how they're going to do that. More details required on that. And then the whole partner play and things like that, I really need to dive into more of how they're pitching other companies to participate in this and build experiences that go in there as well. But okay, so that's, I can see why they're doing that, right? Bring a whole bunch of disparate bits and pieces, stick them in one place, better for the employee. That part I totally get. The bit I don't get is like, this is like rearranging the deck chairs, right? You've still got the same deck chairs. They're just in a different pattern on the deck. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they're on the Titanic on this time because I don't think Teams is the Titanic. I think it's I think it's absolutely the opposite of that right now. It's doing very well. But this seems like a bit of rearranging the deck chairs of existing stuff they've had smushed into a brand and stuffed into Teams. Like that part doesn't, I don't understand that part. From a marketing perspective, bundling it and branding it and pushing it out as an offer and as a thing that people can use, that part, like I get it from that angle. So I suspect that's why they've tackled it this way. The videos that I'm seeing, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I, I'm not entirely clear because it, it, the videos that I've seen so far from it, I can't tell if Viva is a product or if Viva is a suite of apps that go into an existing Microsoft Teams like experience. When I look at the videos, it almost looks like, well, that looks like Teams. And when I see they're clicking on the left rail on one app on the left rail or in the, in the sidebar, and then they're going through different tabs, they're all staying in the insights experience. So it's kind of like, what is this? Is this really just adding four new icons on that left rail? It's apps, right? There's apps. It's apps. And each one is going to have its own separate licensing thing. So if I could say, do I want all Viva or do I want just part Viva? That's the bit about rearranging the deck chairs. Like you could have this without it calling it Viva. It's just a bunch of apps. But I think that the marketing part, the participating in the employee experience platform ecosystem and place in the market, right? That's where you need, that's where they've, why they've wrapped this brand around it. Because that's, this is Microsoft's answer to participating in the employee experience platform beyond just chat and files with Teams, I think. I would recommend, uh, if you're interested in learning more about this, I'd, I'd definitely recommend going and reading uh, Josh Burson's. I'd actually start with his article mm. before you go look at anything else. I wouldn't look at any of the Microsoft stuff because I think that he does a good job of really setting the context and defining the defining what the conversation's about. Towards the end of the article, he, does, he has two sections I found to be really, really good. One of them is, talks about get ready, you know, here's, this release is an announcement is going to be very disruptive. You are going to see this is going to be an uh, an attack or an affront or very damaging to a lot of existing businesses that are trying to do this stuff right now. Yeah, maybe it's internet in a box companies. I've already heard enough people saying now we don't have to go with this other this internet in a box company. Now we can just use Viva instead and have it come straight from Microsoft. That didn't change overnight, though. Well, I don't think it did either. You could have done this yesterday. You could have, yeah. But I think that some of the stuff is it's interesting. I mean, so here's what he says. He has a couple different things to where Viva change is going to change the market. He says Viva is first going to legitimize what's called the EXP, the Employee Experience Platform category, 
He thinks it's a good thing. Vendors are going to rally around the space and make it easier to make a sense of different offerings. Like ServiceNow played with this term a few years ago, but moved into a workflow positioning. They may change their mind. He thinks that we're going to see some stuff from Cisco WebEx, Oracle, and even, and even Facebook maybe come into this. He also says that it's going to force vendors to rethink their product strategy. If you want to sell, if a vendor wants to sell to a company that uses Viva, their product needs to have this as a plugin, not as a top to bottom application. If you're a learning company, do you want to publish content in Viva Learning or do you want to integrate with the entire the entire app into Teams? Do you integrate your survey experience and your or your performance stuff into the connections bit? Do you use the data and insights? Mm-hmm. He then goes through and he talks shares about a conversation that he had with um, Satya Nadella about this. And he's got an interesting thing, an interesting graphic at the very end of his article. It's titled, The EXP Era Has Arrived. In the 1970s and 80s, we were in the era the era of the, the ERP, companies like SAP, Oracle, where they were doing like integrated finance, manufacturing, supply chain systems, all as one big suite. He then says, then we look in the 80s and the 2000s, where it was a consumer or customer economy. And so then it was all about CRMs, about integrating Salesforce automation, direct marketing, advertising, customer analytics, all into one suite. That's Salesforce, that's HubSpot. And then he's saying, well, look, from 2010 up to today, it's now the service economy. So we're we're integrating employee productivity, career, well-being, safety, and workplace applications into one suite. And he's putting Microsoft, Workday, Qualtratics, I said that right, Qualtrics, yeah, Yeah. ServiceNow, and I can't read the last one, I can't pronounce it, Medalla? Medalia? I'm not familiar with that company. But that's a pretty big statement there to say that that's the... This is the era of the new thing that Microsoft is defining. It also makes it easier for Microsoft to go get more money from customers, right? They are buying things that help the employee experience right now. And um, there's line items and budgets for this stuff. So it makes financial sense. I guess not financial sense. It makes tapping into what's on CIOs and CEOs' minds from a budgetary perspective sense, right? Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see where this goes. I wonder, you know... I can see why they're doing it, but I also, the developer brain in me, the skeptical part is like, is this a bunch of sort of fluffy brand and vapor that we'll just, we'll sort of never hear about in another six months? Because at the end of the day, it's just a bunch of apps for teams. And that part I wonder about, like, I'm sure we'll still have apps for teams, but whether Microsoft will, you know, whether this moment will, will stick, I don't know, proof. Time will tell. The feedback that I had for my that for someone at Microsoft was like, well, you know, you just cast this net of like, you know, everyone's going to care about this, and it's like that's the way this pitch kind of came out today, and I don't think that was appropriate. I think it, that this pitch was to certain a certain audience. I know there's people at Microsoft that that were telling me that when you have to pay attention to this, and I look at it going, you know what? The only reason I really cared about this, the only reason that this announcement really is kind of on my radar is as a stockholder. Mm. I don't really see, like, for what the the work that I do, well, the work that I do, it just doesn't, I don't, I look at this, for, like you're saying, from a developer point of view, I'm like... Are they adding stuff to Teams to extend, to allow new experiences in Teams to drive some of these things? I don't know. I'd like to find out about that. There's apparently an API for being able to integrate specifically into these four different pillars. I'm curious to learn more. When I got a preview of this last week, I was told that, you know, you'll see that there'll be information about extending this coming February the 4th. And there's a lot more info about the partner play with this. 
So far, I've got a four-minute video on YouTube that I can look at. I haven't seen much more than that, so I'm really hoping that there's a lot more info about this coming, but and we'll see and uh, see what they go with it. But right now, I'm kind of like, what's new? Like, what's the what's the opportunity? That's why I thought, like, I, I share your view that I don't think it's for me. Yeah, you know, like I I build new things and I want to build new things. And if there's an integration opportunity, I'm interested in that, right? Because I could I could take a look at it and see cool, what can we do on top of this? How do we integrate, you know, the company that I work for? How do we integrate our products with it? How do we how do we make sure our customers have a good experience? All that sort of stuff. But I'm not the audience that I think this, this is pitched at in terms of mm-hmm. being important to my daily life, like as a developer. It's to HR people and it's to CIOs and CTOs and, sorry, CEOs about how they run their companies better with teams. I look at this and I immediately thought, so I, thought, I felt the exact same way. Like, this is not for my company. This is not for me as an individual. This is not for my contractors or my employees. I don't see any value in this for me. This is an enterprise play. This is not a small business or a micropreneur or, micro, or a, an, a small, you know, 10-person mom and shop play. I don't see that. But as somebody who does, like, you know, who, so the learning piece, do I want to put my content in there? Do I want to tie into, like, the metrics and stuff like that? You know, I'm, I'm looking at it, I'm seeing, like, Who's going to buy this? And I know my customer list, fair number of companies that that are my customers. And I look at it and I say, how many of those people are E5s and would want, where having the story for their developers learning the stuff that I'm teaching, do they want that in this? And I'm like, I don't know. Mm. I have a gut feel on what it is, but I don't want to share it. But I'm looking at going, uh, no. you're going to have to prove this one to me. My gut feel is no. But if I was a person who built training around developing yourself as a manager and running a better team and you know, all of that sort of stuff, right? Then absolutely, I could see a channel to market through something like the learning module here, right? To get to get my training to, to an audience that's going to be... Do I think developers are going to go find training through this? Probably not. But I mean, maybe some... Maybe like power power apps type training and stuff. I could imagine yeah. being quite a good play for this, right? To go, people can go find how they can. It's not really developer training, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's power apps. It's hey, they can do apps. they can do YAML files now. <laughs> I'm uh, kidding. Go ahead. Sorry, I'm, I'm sorry. not kidding, but yeah. go ahead. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean. So I think there are probably players there. But yeah, so people listening, if you're in large organizations and you're involved in this sort of stuff, this might be completely applicable to you. All I'm saying is, as a dev who builds new things, I'm like, I want to know how to integrate with it, and then I'll make a decision. You know what's interesting about that? So I agree with you. Here's something that I'd be curious to get their response to. So I sell developer training. That's what I do. I build developer training. People buy my course. They log in. They watch the videos. They track their progress, stuff like that. And I, I am close with a lot of other people who do the same thing that I do in different spaces, not just developer stuff, but, you know, power platform-based training and all that kind of stuff. You know what almost every customer does? Almost every single person, after they buy their subscription, after they get access to their course and their learning content, what every, I bet you 80% of the people end up doing is they immediately go in and ask to change their email address to their Outlook or their Gmail account. The vast majority of the people, like my customers, They all want their stuff off their work account. They all want it in their personal stuff because they want to be able to, if they switch jobs, they want to be able to take it with them. That totally breaks down in this model. Sure, yeah. Even people that work for like 
very large organizations, even Microsoft employees. I've had a team at Microsoft buy like 10 seats to my class. And within a week, seven of those people asked to change their email address. They didn't want it to be tied to their Microsoft account huh. because they wanted they wanted the training to be something that it was theirs that they could actually use. They immediately switched it over <laughs> to the point where it's hard because I have a hard time when they come back and say, hey, would you tell us how... Uh, how these people are progressing in the course. I'm like, I, I can't do it based on domain. <laughs> right, right. Well, I guess we'll see more about Viva over the coming weeks and months. I'm interested in learning a bit more about it, reading a bit more about it, going watching some of those videos, and and um, especially on the integration and partner side of things. You know, often they say, yes, it's going to be all about partners. And then it's like, well, it's just teams development. And you're like, okay, cool. So nothing's changed there. I don't know. <laughs> Proof will be in the pudding for me on that stuff. Yeah. Curious to see. Yeah. All right. You want to get on with the fun part of the show? I mean, that was fun. Don't get me wrong. But you want to get on with some fun stuff? <laughs> sure. Let's do it. ACs Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. Back to the show. CJ, do you have a pick for us this week? I do. Please don't blame me if you get tracked down by the FBI for clicking this link, but it's to a link on the Russian news agency. And it's the article is one hull crack located in ISS, another one suspected. So you know how ISS has been leaking air for a while now? Mm-hmm. They've tracked down uh, the source of one of those leaks and they've found another one in the process. So they've um, turns out there's some hairline cracks appearing in certain areas of ISS that there was an accident with like a drill or something during manufacturing last time, and they found that, and that was like some, a two millimeter drill hole that had yep. exposed, and so it was leaking a bit of air. This one is more like a crack, so it's like stress fractures over time in the modules, and so they found one. One of these that's um, it's not leaking very much, and so it's manageable. But at least they've found it now. They're going to decide what to do about it. I think. Mm-hmm. But so they've you know they've done a bunch of closing the hatches and stuff like that to try and isolate where they're losing pressure from, and they've they've managed to track it down. But weirdly, it's only on the inside. It's apparently, the crack is not on the outside because there's multiple skins right in a module. So it's they're only losing skin from the uh, sorry losing air from the inside skin. But anyway. So they've tracked down. Apparently, it's two to three centimeters in length, and um, it's just like a like a little hairline fracture. Surely they have duct tape up there. Yeah, there's all sorts of jokes about you know get that guy that sprayed Flex Seal onto that boat and floated <laughs> across the Atlantic. You know, like get that guy. <laughs> just spray it on and walk away. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh. it's not a joke. That probably is the solution. <laughs> if it works, right? Yeah. Get some flex seal up there. She'll be right. Like, rock on. I'll be fine. Yeah. It's surprising to me, though, how it's not more of a big story, though. I mean, like, a crack in the space station, like, that seems epic. Yeah, it seems pretty problematic. I guess they've got enough oxygen. Like, they can replace the pressure and and be cool with it for a while. Ah, it's amazing to me. It's an old station, though, now, right? It's 30 years old. It is. 25, something like that. It is. Yeah. So, it's a lot of the modules have been up there and being moved around. Like, when they boot, you know, you're, yeah, it's microgravity, right? But it's, but when they boost, the stress is on the modules, like when there are forces that are acting on it, you know, when they reboost the station and all that sort of stuff. So I guess over time that 
takes its toll. Mm -hmm. How about you? What do you got for us this week? I'm sticking with a space theme. I have two links for us this week. One is, I guess, you and I should probably share it. The first one is by Wired. Uh, It says, February is going to be a big month for Mars. There's a lot of stuff going on uh, with Mars in February. We've got on February the 9th, the UAE has a spacecraft that's going to enter orbit around Mars. Wow. After its six-month, 300-million-mile journey, it's going to be studying the atmosphere. It's going to be about 12,000 miles above the surface and be studying the atmosphere of, of Mars. There's also a Chinese rover, which is going to land. I don't have a date for this one, but it's in February. But it's going to, it's supposed to be landing as well. And then NASA, if you remember back in, when was this? July, I think. NASA launched the Perseverance rover from Cape Canaveral. And that is going to come down on February the 18th as well. And the classic, the classic approach that we've seen in the past that is called the seven minutes of hell. Actually, it's going to be, in this case, it's 15 minutes of hell. It's a fascinating story to kind of see like how they decide to come in and land in Mars with a rover that's that big. Essentially, it's got to go, it's got to go from 10,000 miles an hour to just a few feet per second over the course of 15 minutes. Yeah. And it involves a, comes in with the heat, sh- with, with this heat shield of just doing the standard thing coming in. And then it's got parachutes that come in to get it to come down a little bit lower and slow it down even more. The heat shield pops off, and then there's this like space crane kind of thing that holds the rover that hovers over a certain thing, and then it lowers it way down. It can't fly all the way down to the ground because it kicks up too much dust, and so it gets a certain height and then lowers it down the space crane, and then right when it gets almost to the very bottom, it cuts the umbilicals, and then the little rover, not the rover, the Perseverance rover lands on the ground, and then the little space crane just kind of flips off on an angle and then flies way off and then crashes so that it doesn't crash into the, the rover underneath it. It's insanely complicated. But remember, this is the one, the Perseverance rover, this is the one with the little... Helicopter, right? With the little helicopter? Yeah. Yeah, it's got the helicopter, and this is the one that also has the platform that is going to be able to take samples and then shoot them back up into orbit. And another mission that's I think launches later this year is going to be able to pick those up and then send them back to Earth so we can actually have real Martian samples that we can bring back to Earth. That's pretty cool. That would be awesome. Like, we've got moon rocks. Now we need Mars rocks. Yeah. That's awesome. Now, my other link is, this is so cool. This is called Inspiration4. And Anybody that's listened to our show. Have you bought our tickets yet? We're still negotiating with our sponsors uh, to see if we can use the sponsor dollars <laughs> uh, to do to this. Mars, please. Sorry, go to orbit. Yeah. So this is awesome. This is the first all civilian mission to space that SpaceX is doing. What they're doing is they're going to have four people who are not astronauts. They are going to get in the Dragon Crew capsule and they're going to go up for about a three day mission and just, it's just a, it's literally like space tourism. I mean, you're just going to fly around earth for three days and then come back down the story for this is really cool by the time our episode comes out it will already be out but i think that there's supposed to be a super bowl commercial about this there's a guy there's a billionaire that is funding the entire trip and they're giving away three and he's he's going for a ride there are three more people who are going to go along for the ride as well and one of the neat things about this is that one of the ways that you can go is by making a donation to saint jude and uh, the idea here is to be able to make it as a fundraiser for St. Jude to get people to go. And I think it's really cool that they're doing that. But I told my wife, I said, hey, my birthday is at the end of February. And if you're looking for an idea, 
here it is. And I'm more than happy to not look at the Amex until March so that it <laughs> won't spoil the surprise. <laughs> this is awesome. I'm very excited about this because one of my bucket list items in life is to go to orbit. It'd be nice to go to ISS, but I'd take orbit. I'd take Dragon with as much space as it's got in it. I'd take Dragon. Yeah, it's kind of like the, it's definitely the most luxurious of capsules that have been launched so far. So I'd be in for sure. This is really cool. They've even got a Super Bowl ad. So you can go play the video. I guess we'll see it during the Super Bowl. Is it this weekend? Yeah, it is. The Super Bowl ad is actually on the website. I haven't even, I didn't even notice this. Yeah. They've already published it, but. Very cool. Yeah. You know, if I don't make the first crew, I want to make one of them. So here's hoping. Same here. Hey, they're going up, at the, they're sending it up at the, in the fourth quarter of this year. So it's going to happen. There was a cool interview with Elon about it where they said NBC News was asking him, where can they go? And he's like, it's their mission. They can do what they want. <laughs> and he's like, well, does that mean that they'll be able to, they, these aren't astronauts. I mean, is it going to be all like driven autonomously or are they going to have the ability to fly anything? And he goes, uh, you know, they, they could fly it, but we would recommend letting us, you know, uh, <laughs> control it remotely. <laughs> just a classic like Elon kind of thing. And it's like, yeah. you know, I wouldn't mind like, give me an opportunity to kind of like just, you know, fire the thrusters, kind of move it around a little bit. Or I mean, they're going to have to have some serious amounts of training yes, beforehand. It does say that. So, you know, one of them is going to know how to use all the systems, probably two of them. You know, use all of the flight control systems and all that in case something happens. They're able to, you know, manually initiate certain procedures and communications with Earth. Yeah, somebody's have to going to have to know a bucket load of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, for contingency sort of reasons. You know, I'd like to go up with Commander Hadfield. If I was going to fly with somebody, I want an astronaut with a mustache. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, if you're going to trust an astro- astronaut. It's going to be one that looks like they should be out of the Thunderbirds, you know? And he (laughs) absolutely fits the bill. Although he is Canadian, so, you know, there's that. Well, I mean, at least it'd be a nice trip. Yeah. It'd be very friendly. Yeah, and you'd have plenty of maple syrup. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I don't know if that's a good idea. (laughs) Floating around in zero gravity. Yeah, so it would be nice if there was an astronaut who'd done space stuff before and had maybe flown on the capsule before. Just to, I don't know, I think it'd be, I guess you have to go do enough training that uh, you would know quite a lot of the same stuff as well. But having, you know, flying with somebody who's been through stressful, life-threatening situations before would be quite helpful, I think. Especially somebody as level-headed as uh, Commander Hadfield. Well, I tell you, so they've got, the guy that's funding this is a guy named Jarek Isaacson. He's the founder and CEO of Shift4 Payments. He's a 37-year-old billionaire. He's even got, he's a well-accomplished aviator. He even has his own private Air Force. He's got a MIG that he flies. Sweet. He's got the four other seat or the three other seats that are that are available. Is uh, one is a seat reserved for what's called Hope, which is it. Em- this seat is going to embody the courageous vision upon which Saint Jude was founded: compassion, unity, equality, and inclusion. One is called Prosperity. What you can do is you'll be able to. Like it's best mostly for an entrepreneur that is doing things for good. And then one is for generosity. And this is for somebody who's going to donate to St. Jude. So I believe the hope one is going to be coming from someone who is like a provider at St. Jude. Generosity is going to be somebody as a, a don't somebody who donates to St. Jude. Mm. Apparently there's no minimum, no maximum donation requirement. Mm. And then the prosperity one, my understanding is that's the, that's an entrepreneur that is has some positive like 
some positive story, some like approach or something that they do for to better to better humankind. So they apparently are going to select the entire crew by the end of the month, by the end of February. So I got 24 days to pick it. This is really cool. I'm with you, man. I would, it is like the number one bucket list thing. I want to go to orbit. I want to go to orbit. I want to come back, but I want to go to orbit. Coming back is a secondary mission accomplishment. It's a wish. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a wish. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. As they say in the, you know, in the launching SpaceX rockets, the primary mission objective is to get up. Yeah. The secondary mission objective is to get down. Yeah. The rocket bodies, not the actual humans. That's not what I mean. Right, right, yeah. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's for the unmanned missions. <laughs> yeah, the manned ones getting back is probably the primary mission objective. Yes. Yeah. Right. Well, that's really cool. I uh, will have to donate to St. Jude's. Absolutely. Then freak out if I get selected. Yeah, I'm pucker factor. Got some training to do. I get car sick, so I'll probably fail the medical anyway. I don't know. One thing I know that I would do is I would completely fail the entire... I would fail the suit. How's that? <laughs> my suit would... My, my, I would need to... I would like to get two suits because one of them would not... I do not want to keep after this mission. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Cool. All right, man. Good catching up, man. Likewise. Catch you next week. Yeah, I'll be in touch. Roger that. Later. Take <laughs> out. Did you like this episode? Please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find out about our show and grow the audience, and we would really appreciate it. If you got a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as a wave or an MP3 and provide a link to it so that we can play your question on the show. You can also subscribe to us in Apple Podcasts, in the Google Play Store, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. And finally, sign up to our mailing list by heading over to our website, microsoftcloudshow.com. You'll get notices of each new episode as well as the show notes sent directly to you each week. We'll be back with another episode next week. Thanks for listening.